Welcome to the Rock Podcast. One of the greatest tragedies and yet a fact of kingdom living is that some will wind up abandoning the faith. Pastor Ross takes just one verse in this teaching to dissect and analyze the sobering reality of latter-day apostasy. Let's join him now in a message entitled, Falling Away from the Faith. Alrighty, let's get started. We're picking up in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. We're going to start there this morning. We've got a lot to cover, so let's ask the Lord for His blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we take a look at some really intense scripture, just really packed with uh, intrigue and valuable insights, Lord, as intense as it is, We just know it's the Word of God, and it's the Gospel, and and we just want to hear what your Spirit is saying so that we can know the truth, and as Jesus promised, when you know the truth, your heart will be set free. And so set us free as we acknowledge your Word and listen to your truth and put it into practice. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, let me begin with a quote from C.S. Lewis from the Screwtape Letters. He wrote... There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and welcome an atheist or a sorcerer with the same delight. Now, when I read that quote recently, I thought of my dear old dad, Uh, he's a real character, my dad, a a Jew from Brooklyn, became a Christian when he was 55 years old, became a great scholar of the word, and he was hilarious, Uh, but sometimes you didn't know if he was joking or if he really meant it. Now, uh, my dad liked to blame a lot of problems on the demons, Now, he'd say, you know, especially car trouble, you know. (laughs) He'd say, oh, you know, I remember him saying, you know, demons in the carburetor, you know. And and then I'd go, Dad, come on. And, And he would smile, but I didn't really know if he was really joking or not. Uh, uh, Years later, long after he had gone home to be with the Lord, one morning I was late for work and I was in the car and the car wouldn't start. And I was, you know, late. It was an important meeting. I kept trying and a complete exasperation and a shout out to my dad's memory. I went, demons, demons in the carburetor. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's nice to remember him. Now, It's unclear whether demons are at work in car engines or not, but according to our text this morning, we do know one place for sure that they are alive and well and working. 
They may not be in the car engine, but they certainly work behind the pulpit. Now, uh, they are working to divert people from the truth, and the truth is defined as uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to hinder Christians. Of course, to blind the minds of unbelievers, of course, that's straight out of Second, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and also to hinder Christians from effective and healthy, productive lives by just kind of getting them off mark if they can. So with that, we're going to just pick up where we left off. And here's what we're going to do, a little different today, because it's an intense one-verse, one-sentence pack with a lot of information. So you know what? We're going to park right there. We're going to put that verse up for you. And we're, I'm going to read it. In fact, we can read it together. And then we're going to walk through each section. And as we do, I'll, I'll have it a little highlight of the part that we're talking about. Uh, and here's why. Well, let's read the verse together first. <laughs> The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, here's why. I want to park here. Because everybody in the sound of my voice will either listening by podcast or here assembled uh, this morning. Everybody that I know who's a Christian would not want to abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and embrace things taught by demons. For clearly, some have and some are going to because the Lord says it's a fact of kingdom living. And so since we're all sort of horrified at the possibility that that could include me or you, then we think we should stop and dismantle that thing and wring it out of every ounce of truth and practical advice that we can get from it. Amen? Amen. So, okay, so what do we have here? What we have implied here is that not everyone with a Bible and a title doing the work of God or selling a bunch of books or whatever uh, are actually doing the work of God. That some have wandered from the truth even in the Christian community uh, and actually are inspired and doing a work for the other side, uh, a mouthpiece for deceitful spirits according to our text, and that is the scripture, right? So a little context before we dig in. Here in Paul's first letter to young Pastor Timothy, Pastor Timothy's about 35 years old at the most, and uh, he's in charge of getting the church at Ephesus back on track. Now, after they have had false teachers uh, teaching myths and fables, crazy stuff they were making up, and it really capsized the whole church. You know, uh, it's kind of like the rudder of the ship was set to crash the boat into the rocks. And so that church is really suffering because of the false teaching. And so uh, visibly, the church was a mess. People were leaving, influential people. 
and families were torn in half and uh, confused, and this guy's teaching this, this guy's teaching that. So the first step, as we've seen, uh, was to stop the hemorrhaging, to silence the false teachers, which Paul and Timothy came in and did. They stepped them down, and they asked a few of them to leave the church, which they did. Uh, They exposed them in the teaching and started preaching the gospel again, and there was healing taking place, but sadly, uh, a fact of life that Timothy's going to have to grapple with here, that some in the congregation were still departing. They were embracing unbiblical ideas and going with these ever-popular false teachers who were gaining followers, and their churches, their churches were growing. So there would be a split. They'd follow the false teacher, And that congregation was growing more and more influential. And Timothy's church was shrinking. So it's time now for Paul, with the Holy Spirit's help, to encourage Timothy and to explain to him, really to kind of pull back the curtain and show him, hey, this is way deeper than a few crazy guys in the pulpit saying uh, erroneous things or false things. This has really got a very sobering, a very spiritual, and a very diabolic source of what's going on. And so we're going to take a look at that now. So let's start with the first phrase, the Spirit clearly says. Now, who is the Spirit? The Spirit is God himself. There are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Spirit, really, there's one God, and the Spirit is God. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 just says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit. So here's what God is saying. He's saying, Pastor Timothy, don't freak out. Don't panic. God has clearly told us that this has been the case. It is the case, and it will always be the case. And that you're doing nothing wrong. You know, it, It's hard when people you love and admire start to mess around with the gospel and they go to different churches or they leave the gospel truths that you've embraced. You start to feel like, is it me? Am I doing something wrong? The church is shrinking. People are sending me negative mail. Uh, uh, They're saying I need to broaden my horizons and be more enlightened like these false teachers are, right? So what he's saying first is saying, Timothy, steady, As you go, man, keep teaching and preaching the gospel because this is a fact of life. This is normative Christian living. Some are going to wander away from the truth. They're going to follow after deceptive spirits and, and embrace teachings that really don't come from heaven but the other place. So, Timothy, don't, don't take it personally, Christian. Don't take it personally. Now, you know, 2 Timothy 4, what I quoted when we ordained Carlin, uh, Pastor Carlin, hmm, first time I said that. <laughs> 2 Timothy 4, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers, great numbers, to say what they want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and t- aside to miss. So that's coming. It's a fact of life. It has to happen. Expect it. Prepare for it. Do your best to prevent it from happening. But know this. 
it's going to happen. And it's a sign, really, of the time drawing near for Christ to appear. Interesting, Matthew 24, isn't it? The disciples say, Lord, would you tell us you're talking about coming and this power and glory. What are some of the signs that will tell us it's the end of the world? And Jesus, first words out of his mouth, many will come in my name and deceive many. So the sign that Jesus is about to appear is the increase in spiritual deception. Also linked with that is the decrease in morality and love. Two things to look for, according to the Bible, that we're in a time when Jesus is going to appear, is the rise in spiritual deception and the decline in morality and love. And so, you know, I do want to take a little second just to say the Spirit has clearly showed us, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, that there's always a false teacher, and there's always among God's people folks ready and willing to go that way. Just let me show you here in Jeremiah 14, 14. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I haven't sent them. I haven't appointed them. I haven't spoken to them. They're prophesying or proclaiming to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and delusions from their own minds. Okay. Jeremiah lived 550 years before Bethlehem. This is nothing new. All the Bible is saying is it's just going to increase as the age draws to culmination or fulfillment. Now, uh, those are the false teachers who were there. How about the congregation of Israel, which they're called God's congregation? They were just as willing just to to have itching ears. Hey, tell us what we want to hear. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10. They tell the prophets, the pastors, the, the true teachers to keep quiet. They say, don't talk to us about what's right. Tell us what we want to hear. Let us keep our illusions. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the spirit, Timothy, we'll go back to the, the verse. The spirit clearly says, has, has said, is saying, and will always say, a fact of life. Since we are saved by the truth, you shall know the truth. John chapter 8, and the truth will set you free. Therefore, the enemy will always attack the truth. There will always and always has been false teaching. There always will be false teaching. And there will, uh, sadly, will always be God's congregation, in God's congregation, and we're going to talk about this, who apostate, the word for falling away. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about that now. So, It says there is now, let's highlight latter times or later times here. Now, the later times have already come, but he's saying in later times like we are in, this spiritual deception will be on the increase. The end days, the Greek word eschatos, where we get the word, the fancy theological word eschatology, which is the study of last times. So how the Lord will appear, the rapture of the church, the millennial kingdom, that's called eschatology, right? So here's the understanding that the last days started 2,000 
years ago because it was the culmination of God's work of redemption. Here's what I'm saying. In Jesus Christ, God appeared as a man. That was the answer to 300 direct prophecies in the whole Old Testament. God's work was finished in Christ as he died for our sins, the sins of the world, was raised again, ascended, and sent the Holy Spirit to save the whole world and send out the church. You you know, July 4th, you know, there's always a a big finale, and you know it's the finale, right? right, How do you know it's the end? When, uh, when, uh, When it just goes crazy and there's all the fireworks explode. When the day of Pentecost came, after God became a man and was nailed to a, to a piece of wood that God himself created for the sins of the world, it was the finale. Now what's left? Get in the lifeboat. Christ Jesus saved the world. There's nothing left to do to save mankind except that they come in and we preach the gospel. Therefore, it's the last days. Look, look at what John said. <laughs> The last hour, he said, 1 John 2.18. Dear children, this is the last hour, 2,000 years ago. This is now the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, oh, well, there's little Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. And folks, if it was the last hour 2,000 years ago, you know what? We're in the last seconds. We are in the very last seconds. So he's saying, Timothy, Come on, man. To be for, listen, to be, forearmed, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. In other words, when you know it's coming and people get up and roll their eyes and, and wag their heads and, and they leave and call you ignorant and narrow-minded, just know that's supposed to happen. Check. I'm doing something right. You get the bad you know, insult, you say... Thank you, (laughs) you know, because check, the spirit explicitly has told me that we're in the latter times and this was going to happen. All right, let's underline some will abandon the faith. That's the scary part. Who, Who are they? Who are they? Well, you have two options theologically. You have, number one, you have professing Christians who never really were. And we all know that that happens. People are in the church. They say the right words. They're called nominal Christians. Nominal means name only. And so they say they are. They maybe on the surface look like one, but they're not really. The connection never happened. They wander away. Or a true born-again Christian, because of weak theology or weak character, they wander away. They shipwreck their faith. That's what the Bible calls it. But they survive in the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 says, you can make it to heaven and not have much to show for it. It calls it being saved as though through the flames. No reward, but you're there. And that's how I think of people get ensnared in these cults. They truly know the Lord. But for whatever reason, they think God exists to make them rich. And so their, their whole ministry and mindset is about money, wealth, money, wealth, and health. When, you, when that kind of person gets to heaven and finds out that that was false teaching, 
and that they spent so much effort and time. There's nothing. It's wood, hay, and stubble. <laughs> Gone. Saved. But they wandered. Somewhere along the line, they believed a lie and willfully decided, I'd rather have this truth than the gospel. And so that's the sum. Now, let me talk about that incredible word, abandon the faith. It's the word apostasia, where we get the word apostasy. And what it means is to withdraw. It means to fall from a place you were. Or I love this one, to relocate. It means to leave one place for another place. All right? Now, the, the Thessalonians were lied to by false teachers. They said, hey, the second coming's already happened spiritually. And you guys have missed it. So Paul got busy and he wrote to them and he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord and Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day, will not come unless the falling away, there's your word, the abandoning, the relocating, comes first. It has to happen. There's going to be, before Jesus comes, this antichrist who will come into power and sooner or later he will go into the temple. There will be a rebuilt temple. He will proclaim himself to be God. And then the, uh, the end comes very shortly after that. In fact, 1,260 days after that comes out of his mouth, bang, Jesus appears. But see, that, that, that's the thing. The falling away has to come. And that's what it means to move. Now, what is the faith? They abandon, they fall away, they they move from the faith. Well, the faith is really the core truth of Christianity. What is Christianity? We can call it Christianity, or we could call it the gospel, or we can call it the faith. Now, the faith exists of uh, specific teachings, And that's your faith. Let me show you how it's used, the faith, okay? Because it's very often used. Jude 3, it says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you, this is Jesus' half-brother writing to you. He did not believe in Jesus while he was uh, in the household. But after the death and resurrection, he became a believer and wrote the book of Jude Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt like I had a right to urge you to contend, fight, defend the faith. But you've got to know what the faith is if you're going to defend it, right? Now, there are other places the faith is used to uh, describe the core of what it means to be a Christian, right? Now, here, here's my attempt to, to gather that together for you. First of all, you've got to have the authority of the Bible 
God's word is inerrant. It means it's completely a God-breathed work. It has authority for faith and practice. You have to have that. Jesus is Lord. That means God in a human body. That he is not a man as we know men. He did not have a human father. The Holy Spirit conceived a a human ovum. And that became the God-man. Jesus Christ. If you take away his deity, you've abandoned the faith because that's an essential tenet of the faith. He's come down from heaven to die for the sins of the world. He was crucified, dead, buried, rose again. Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Whoever rejects him shall perish in a place called hell. Jesus' words. Jesus, the only way to be saved, those who believe in him are born again. In other words, you don't just say the prayer. You have to have new life, and that has to be evidenced with some sort of moral transformation or you don't have the real deal. That's an essential. People say they're Christian all day long. Unless you have a moral transformation, which means you've been born again, something's changed inside of you. You can talk all day long and say whatever you want. And unless we see holiness, it says, without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. So that's an essential That's an essential thing. Uh, One day he's coming to judge the world, to reign and to rule forever. I think I've summed it up. That's your faith. That's the faith. That's Christianity. Now, add to that an idea that's not in there. (laughs) Subtract from that. Edit it. Water it down. Cut and paste. Just take the non-offensive parts out completely. 100%, you've abandoned the faith. That's the faith. Walk away from any of that, and you have done it. You've wandered from the truth. Now, there's lots of ways to do that. Let's talk about that. I mean, uh, cults, Christian cults, mix the truth with a bunch of lies. And uh, it's confusing because you hear a lot of Bible but then you get it mixed up. So uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Christian science, those are pseudo-Christian cults. Uh, that's not my concern for you. All right? Uh, you can wander to social gospel. Social gospel is this. Open Bible, church, pews, Christians, and all you hear <clears throat> is feed the hungry, build houses for the poor, justice for the nations, justice for people, uh, visit people sick. That's it. No need to repent. No cross. No Jesus. No heaven. No hell. Just social. Right? That's an abandonment of the faith. Right? That's not the faith. If you can go into church and out of church for six months and not hear the word Jesus, there's a problem. <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, moving on. That's not my concern for you. Oh, there are false religions, like, you know, I mean, there are a dime a dozen today, right? That's not my concern for you. There's atheism. You could abandon for that. That's not my concern for you. Oh, there's one right now that's my concern for you because I'm watching my friends wander from the truth. I'm watching my pastor friends leave the faith. So that's my concern. Can I talk to you about it? All right? It's called technically the emerging church 
Love it, love the title, because emerging means to move. (laughs) To move from the old structure of the old-fashioned way of thinking about the gospel and Christianity to the new postmodern thinking. Now, let me explain postmodern. It gets thrown around a lot. It's very easy. Postmodern, post means after. So we live in after the modern times. All that means is, is that the world has grown up now. We've reached modernity. We've, uh, we've grown up. We're not babies anymore. Babies meaning dark ages, ignorance. We didn't know what microbes were. We have technology. We have science. We have education. We have enlightenment. We put a guy on the moon. I mean, we can see into galaxies far, far away. We've grown up, all right? We are postmodern. And in a postmodern world, you need to start to examine the things that we used to believe back when we were childish and ignorant and not enlightened. Therefore, in a postmodern world, the church needs to emerge out of the old structure of ignorance and narrow-mindedness and judgmentalism and this talk of devils and hell and intolerance for different people and intolerance for different paths, we need to move from the old structure to the post-modern, which is what we have today. Now, that, I'm concerned for you, because I'm watching it happen. There is so much pressure on evangelical Christians to broaden beyond the faith to accept unbiblical ways of thinking about lifestyles, about heaven, about hell. There's incredible amount of spiritual deception. And nobody can make a lie more beautiful and attractive than the father of lies. Your text says it. That's what we're up against. Let me tell you about, just quickly, about the emergent church. And a couple guys who were evangelical Christian pastors, uh, Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, they were the, the main guys who started the ball rolling. Because what they were preaching was unpopular. They were offending a lot of people. Only certain people could go to heaven, like those who trust in Jesus, that Jesus was the only way, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, People were rolling their eyes and they decided we've got to grow into a modern way of thinking about the gospel. So they changed the gospel. And what's very interesting about the emergent church is that there's a key word and I want you to pay attention. They say, let's dialogue. Let's dialogue. Listen, my friends. (laughs) I looked up the faith in the concordance. We're called to defend it, stand by it, stand with it, support it, preach it. Nowhere do I find us dialoguing about it. We're to obey it and submit to it and defend it 
We do not dialogue. Listen to what one pastor said. And the old conversation starter, the dialogue trick, here's how it works. Anytime you see a progressive member of your church try this, you must understand that this is the wedge that they will use to pry the orthodox out. Ortho means straight or right. Dox means belief. Orthodox just means a right thinking of the gospel. The conversation will be one-sided and will not end until the orthodox have surrendered or left because the progressives will never, ever take no for an answer. It's a clever trick in the name of openness and broad-mindedness. Theological liberals have learned a nearly foolproof method of dislodging Christian orthodoxy and replacing it with their own. They simply call it dialogue. Last paragraph. My point is this, Christians, you need to be aware of this strategy. False teachers typically won't show up at your church wearing a sandwich board sign saying, I am a false teacher. Instead, they will appeal to you and your human sympathies. They will try to make you feel that humility requires you to hold the teachings of Jesus and the apostles with an open hand as if their validity and authority are up for debate. Once they have gotten the faithful to acquiesce to that project, they have won. Denny Burke, professor of biblical studies at Boyce College. Yes, dialogue. Dialogue about how to do church better, how to reach the loss. Dialogue about complicated issues that, that, that will help you to be more submitted and more devoted. Predestination, the assurance of our faith. Dialogue all, all day long. But don't dialogue with the faith because the faith isn't open for our opinions. It's calling for our obedience. Amen? One writer said, there's a big difference between a submitted soul dialoguing for better understanding of complex issues and a dialogue intended to undermine an essential and accepted truth of the faith. Last little thing about the emergent church. Another quote, but it's a good one. (laughs) The new gospel of today is wider, broader, more loving, more forgiving, more inclusive more gracious than what Jesus himself offers. No matter, I like this quote, (laughs) no mention of repentance from sin, a bloody cross, no threat of hell, no judgment to come, no moral expectations, nothing that would offend. So-called progressive Christians have abdicated their role as truth-tellers for relationship-building endless dialoguing and social causes that do nothing to save a soul and set them on the narrow path that leads to life. It's, love this part, it's love without holiness, grace without truth, salvation without repentance, and spirituality without Jesus. It's only something a demon could come up with because to swap out the gospel for a lie and in the process make the deceived look and feel wiser and more loving than everybody else, only Satan himself could do something like that. Now, 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan appears as an angel of light. It looks and sounds good. 
human reasoning. He knows how to make a damnable lie look beautiful and a path that leads to destruction seem attractive. And so, well, speaking of the devil, get it? (laughs) Speaking of the devil, uh, let's go to the next deceiving spirits. Wow. So, So in reality, as we're moving to the end here, in reality, these apostates, what they're called wanderers, aren't following the visible men or books or teaching. They're actually following, look at your verse, they're following that deceiving spirit. Now, you know, it's more than a sophisticated professor It's more than a charismatic speaker or a deep thinker or a clever, innovative writer. It's deceiving spirits. The word deceiving, right there in your text, planos, where we get the word planet, wandering, circles. They are, King King James has seductive, Because to get you to wander from your home, from your spouse, from your position in the faith, to get you to move, there's seduction involved, deceiving. Or another version has lying. To get you to move, there's some lying involved. Uh, Now, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads us like a heat-seeking missile, straight to the bullseye, bam, truth, right? That's his job. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he will lead you into all truth. That's the Holy Spirit. The unholy spirits wander. Wander around in the darkness. That's their job. That's what they do. And how do they do it? Well, let's talk about these, the deceiving spirits. Just who are they? They're fallen angels Apparently, as Jude says in Jude 6, angels sinned. And if they sinned and followed the archangel, who is Lucifer, who, by the way, the new evangelicals don't believe that there are these spirits. They laugh. They mock that I would be teaching you that there's a devil. I just have the word to go by, and I just happen to believe that the word is true. And so these deceiving spirits are fallen angels. You cannot see them. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 has a great description of what they do. For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's them. They're following their leader. They oppose God's work, his people, his purposes. They tempt, they oppose, they oppress, they possess anything they can do until the end when they're all locked up, gone. The Lord prepared hell for the devil and his angels and anybody who's going to follow them is going to end up in that place. But it's interesting, the scripture says hell was prepared for them, not for people. People choose to follow them. And when you follow somebody, guess what? You end up where... They're going, right? So the, it was never the Lord's intention to create hell for people. The people uh, are drawn to that and want to go. So a third of them apparently joined, and that's who they are. Uh, their job is to offer teaching that contradicts, confuses, and distorts with the gospel. 
And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because check this out. First, uh, First Timothy 4.16. Check out how important the truth is. Watch your life, and doctrine means teaching, closely. Preserve in them. Persevere. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's my call. To, that's my call. I have to persevere in this, no matter how unpopular it's going to get. And it's going to get way more unpopular than it is today to be an, a Bible-carrying, uh, heaven-and-hell-preaching kind of person, like Jesus was. <laughs> Jesus talked about it. Now, if it's that important, let me show you John eight thirty-two. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, attack the truth. And how do they do that? By teaching. So we're at the last point now. Things taught by demons. Wow, it just is very unsettling. Now, the demons need vehicles to bring their ideas into human hearts to dislodge us from the truth where we can be whole and assured and uh, productive. So they're the ones who inspire books and blogs and need a platform and a microphone. How else are they going to do this? So it's, it's quite interesting that they're the source of the teaching. I mean, they, they have seminars. They have conferences, okay? They offer courses. And all of it is designed to contradict, to allure you away, but subtly. Subtly, so that it sounds good. What do you think he fell for the, for the fruit for? He didn't say, you know, you're going to really hate it. It smells terrible. You bite it. You die. It's awful. Ew. <laughs> you know, sorry. I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Doesn't it look beautiful? It's going to make you smart. Everybody wants to be smart. You see? So there's a teaching that is going to have to appeal to you somehow. It's going to have to make sense to you. Does God sound like the kind of God who would send people to an eternal hell? <laughs> what if two people loved each other? They love each other. They're good people. Isn't that okay? It appeals to humans and sympathies and reasoning. But you know what? God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways different from your ways. As heaven is far away from earth, so too the distance between my thinking and your thinking. We're not called to do things the way that makes sense to us, but to obey the revealed truth as it is in the gospel. I put together, I did it at the last second so that the slides aren't quality, you know, but it's better than just hearing me ramble on. So... Thank you for not amening. <laughs> Here's some of the best-selling courses that the demons teach, okay? Uh, number one, the lie is we evolved. Nobody plus nothing equals everybody and everything. Evolution, lie number one. Here's the truth for that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Lie number two on my list of top sellers. Uh, man is basically good. <laughs> you know, then we have Jeremiah 17.9. Sorry about that. It says, uh, 
The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I love, let me throw this in. I love when Jesus is trying to encourage people about, hey, trust God, he's going to take care of you. He says this, he goes, he goes, now listen, when your kid is hungry, you know what to do. And here's how he phrases it. He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more God, the heavenly father, know what to give his children. But did you see how he just kind of slipped that in there? You know, if you, being evil, yeah, that's... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, period. Men are not basically good. We're basically bad. There are some who are basically gooder than badder than some of us, (laughs) right? But yeah, you get it. Number three, if you do your best, that'll be acceptable to God. Well, Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, if a person is put right with God by being good, it means that Christ died for nothing. If it's okay for you to say, hey, I did my best, man. I wasn't as bad as that guy, right? If that's good enough to die in that condition, then what was that about? That's Paul's point. Number four, riches will bring you happiness. First Timothy, coming. First Timothy, it should be 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Some eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, I want to find, the Lord just says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Happy is the person who is hungry and thirsty for being right with God. That's the happy person because they'll be filled. All right? Not money. Okay, uh, number five. There are many roads that lead to heaven, many paths. All religion is basically the same. Jesus Christ speaking, the one who came down from heaven, his estimation, enter through the narrow gate, narrow. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many go that way. But small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You'll be laughed out of the church of the emergent teachers for suggesting that there's a narrow and exclusive way. Who wrote that? I have nothing to do with that statement. That is God's son telling everybody, hey, don't think everybody's going. Many miss it, and only a few, comparatively speaking, find that narrow path. You'll never hear that. That is so despised today. And you will take heat. And my friend, if you make the way wider than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if you dare to make it wider... I'll tell you what, you've departed the faith. And I'll leave your soul to God. That's his business. But I can tell you, rest assured, you, def- you departed from Jesus' words. Well, what does that really mean? What do you think it really means? It really means what it really means. It's right there. That's the other thing. What does it really mean? Get a five-year-old up here. Put a mic there and say, what does that mean? It means now away. (laughs) Sorry. I'm almost done. 
Marriage can be defined however we see fit. I love this one. Listen, I'm not going to get on a soapbox here, but, but listen, I love this verse. Just use it. Haven't you read, Jesus says, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. For this reason, a male husband will join himself to his female wife and the two will become one. Haven't you read that in the beginning, Jesus speaking, God made two genders, male and female. And for this reason, a male and a female will come together and be married. If you celebrate or condone something different than what the Creator says, you've abandoned the faith. I feel the pressure too. I could go to jail for saying that. You can leave and go have lunch, but you'd have to come visit me in the prison, (laughs) and I'll tell you what to order. Number five from Togo's. (laughs) Moving on. It's just fetal tissue. For you created me. My inmost being, you knit me together in my mom's womb. That was a work of God in that womb. He takes ownership of that tissue. Eight. Everybody winds up in heaven. John 3, 36. Should be a six there. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You will never hear that. You will be ostracized, mocked, and, and completely ridiculed for holding that archaic, old-school, narrow-minded, unforgiving, ungracious, unloving doctrine. Jesus Christ is speaking. Who are we to say, snip, snip, snip? We don't like saying that. People don't like to hear that. I don't have the right. I got to go down on the ship, man. I got to go down on Jesus and his teaching because he said, defend this. Don't dialogue that. What does that really mean? That's pretty simple. You got Jesus, you're going to live. You don't have Jesus, you reject Jesus, you're not going to live. For God's wrath is not appeased. It was appeased on Jesus. I'm with Jesus. His wrath is gone. Because he dumped it all on Christ. But if you're going to stand there, having rejected the object of God's wrath, the sponge for all of that wrath and indignation, (laughs) almost an indigestion. (laughs) If you're going to say no thanks to that beautiful sin offering, then the wrath, the wrath is what? Do I like talking about that? No. Do I need to talk about it? Yeah. Why? It's the faith. It's the faith. That's why it's good news. That's why it's called good news, because we don't have the wrath anymore. Jesus took the wrath for those who have it. Be true to yourself and do whatever makes you happy. 10, Mark 10, 39. 
Whoever finds themselves, oh, I found myself, I'm free, totally, I woke up, I wasn't, I don't love you anymore, I need to find myself, I was just watching Oprah, and she promised, listen, you know, I need to be happy, what about me in this relationship, all right, whoever finds themselves will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, I don't have any more time, but I want to preach a sermon, there are ten men wrote the Bible, Remember what the Bible says. <laughs> All scriptures God breathed. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophets themselves. Like the, it was their idea. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit who moved the prophets to speak from God. That's the top 10. Now, there are private personal lies that he tells because he's the father of lies to mess with your mind all day long. Nobody likes you. You're never going to make it. You know, your mother dresses you funny. All of that stuff. (laughs) But we're talking about theological lies, right? So let's conclude then. You can put that verse back on, the full verse. What prevents you from being one of the wanderers from the faith? What's going to keep you from being seduced by the lying spirits? What's the difference between the faithful Christians who hang in there and the ones that depart? You would think I'm going to say, read your Bible more. I'm not. That's kind of a given. I mean, you've got to know the truth, right? That's not the problem, though. You're at a Calvary Chapel because you like the truth. You like verse by verse. You like taking one verse and spending an hour talking about it. That's not your problem. The problem is courage. The problem's character. The problem is not wanting to identify with the offensive gospel that you will have to take a little heat for. That you will have to be look like an, uh, an ignorant person a backward person, an unloving person. Oh, you believe that? It's the people who prefer the applause of men rather than the pleasure of God that wander. They don't have the courage. Jesus said this. I love this. He said, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Wow, what do you mean? He says, woe to you. If everybody's applauding everything that's coming out of your mouth all the time, you don't have the gospel. Woe to you. Because the gospel tells men they're wrong, they're sinners, they're helpless, you're headed to hell, you need Jesus and he's the only way. And no two people, if they're not uh, a male and a female, and no to this and yes to that, you're going to take heat. So you're going to have to see yourself as a martyr. The word witness, you shall be my witness, is martyros, martyr. You're going to have to change the way you think about being a Christian. As I'm going to stand and be ridiculed. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be lied about. I'm going to be abused verbally. I'm going to be marginalized. I'm not going to get invited. I'm not going to be with the cool kids on the playground. That was funnier, way more than you think, (laughs) apparently. Because I promise you, there are people in here who are going to fall. 
I promise you, because it matters more to them that they fit in and they're well thought of. And Jesus says, woe to you. Woe to you. Now, you don't want to intentionally be obnoxious, (laughs) right? And make people angry. And there is a way to talk and share about the gospel that is less offensive than it already is, right? Let's try to be tactful and loving and patient and kind and, and open to everybody. But you come to a faith that has demands and we stand by those because we're loyal to the faith. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.